0: God, we thank you so much for a chance to come together as the people of College Park Fishers and to rest upon the authority of your word. God, as we open up the scriptures, we confess that, Lord, we are fully dependent upon you. <clears throat> Lord, making clear what is in here. Lord, we're fully dependent upon you changing our hearts. Lord, that there are no creative illustrations or outlines that can change us. It's your spirit using your word to confront things in our hearts. And God, that's what we ask, and that's what we need, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Dr. William Stewart Halstead has been called the father of modern surgery in America. He lived in the late 1800s and the early 1900s and uh, was really popular for developing these new techniques in surgery that were really risky uh, but were successful but he's probably most popular for starting the first formal uh, surgical residency program in the United States. He's the one that's uh, responsible for these 80, sometimes 90 hour work weeks uh, for the residents at these different hospitals. And he's the one who uh, was really discouraged any of these residents getting married and wanted them to reside in the hospital, hence the name uh, residency. Dr. Um, Halstead was a, a workaholic. He was extremely driven. He was busy. He was successful. And yet all throughout his medical career, he was addicted to cocaine. At The fuel to this imbalanced lifestyle, this crazy pace, was a powerful stimulant drug, and it led to his demise. So you looked at this idea last week that what's more important to your pace is actually what's driving your pace. I'll give you another example on the other other end of the spectrum. uh, We all know about the monastery movements in the 14th, 15th century led by these really spiritual and, and religious monks all over Europe. They kind of hit their apex in the 1300s, and these, these monks would, would have this type of lifestyle that, that emphasized a detachment from the world and, and the busy affairs of the world so they could live this kind of quiet, uh, slow-down pace uh, in order to have enough time for this contemplative reflection. Well, in the mid-1500s in England, all kinds of different monasteries were being shut down that England was, was recognizing that these monks were not dedicating their margin and their time for spiritual endeavors, but they were pursuing different kinds of immoralities that were disrupting uh, the society throughout England. These monks were uh, devoting themselves to gambling and drinking and, and sexual immorality to the point where they, England began to shut down their monasteries. See, what's more important than our pace is what's driving our pace. Last week, we looked at this main idea that uh, busyness is actually not the primary issue in our lives. We're talking about the pace and and overcommitment, but really the primary issue is what's fueling our busyness, what's underneath it, what's driving it. So last week, we looked at these four common um, unhealthy forces that tend to drive our busyness. We looked at trust issues with God, looked at fear of man issues, looked at a, a misplaced identity, and, and even a, a, a deep restlessness. And we concluded that the real issue in this struggle with busyness is our hearts, that God does want to set us free from this, this busy trap that we find ourselves in, but he's not going to do it primarily by rearranging our calendars and, and managing our schedules. He's primarily going to do that work by learning for us to manage our own hearts better. And I think Luke chapter 10 is, is going to help us do that this morning. In fact, uh, I really believe that there's something in, in our passage today that, that shows us that there's a, a more powerful force than a fear of man. There's a more powerful force than finding our identity in our accomplishments, or or maybe wanting to appear to be religious or spiritual like, like the monks did in the 14th and 15th century. There's a more powerful force than even cocaine that's in Luke chapter 10 here. There's something here that Jesus is going to, to make clear to us that should provide the proper fuel for our pace while also reorienting our priorities so that we can better discern the difference between good, better, and best. And we really, really need that today. So let's look at this passage together in uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Just like any passage in the Bible, the the surrounding context really does help shape the meaning uh, of a particular passage. That's true of our passage today. In fact, when you look at, at verse 38 with me, you'll, you'll notice that Luke uses this verse to kind of set the table of describing where Jesus is and who, who Jesus is actually with. But I think that Luke is using this verse to also help link this passage with what's come before it. These three situations in, in Luke 9 and 10 that, that carry the same type uh, of theme. When you look at verse 38, this phrase, as they went on their way, is a device that Luke has been using to kind of connect this intentional journey motif that stretches back into chapter 9 of Luke, uh, verse 56, where Luke says that they went on to another village. And then verse 57 of chapter 9, as they were going along the road. And then chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord sent them on ahead of them. There's this this emphasis on movement and journey and activity. And I think Luke is is trying to tie all of these things together. And even in these three situations before our passage, we see that Jesus is emphasizing kind of the doing of Christianity, the activity of Christianity, the outward obedience. If you look at the passage right before us, we have the Good Samaritan, It's all about doing good to your neighbor. Or the beginning of chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the 72, he instructs them to go and do ministry. You have right before that, at the end of chapter 9, these three individuals who want to follow Jesus. Jesus is instructing them what it looks like to go all in as they follow him. So all of these passages before ours has this emphasis on correct doing, on the activity, the outward obedience. So if you're a, an overly busy person, if you like, to, uh, to, you like the activity, you like to be driven, you look at these, these uh, preceding sections in Scripture and you say, yes, that's exactly my cup of tea. That resonates with me. That's the Christianity that I'm most comfortable with. Just tell me what to do. I'll fit it in my schedule and I'll make it work. But when you get to our passage today, it, it brings a, a type of balance that we desperately need. Our passage this morning has less to do with the doing of Christianity, and it has more to do with the being of Christianity. And even in the midst of Luke's crazy pace, his, his, his high activity in chapters 9 and 10, our passage this morning shows us the importance of being still with Jesus. Jesus. We've talked about this this lie that that busyness tries to convince us of over the last couple of weeks, this lie that says your identity and and who you are is wrapped up in what you do and what you achieve and what you accomplish. And we're going to see that Jesus confronts that lie and actually shows us a better way. See, in verse 38, we notice that Jesus enters this village and Martha welcomes Jesus into her own home. We learn that Martha has a sister named Mary, and it appears that this section of scripture might be the closest thing that we have to Jesus giving a sermon on busyness in all of the gospels. And yet, one thing that we're immediately confronted with is this contrast between Mary and Martha. If you look at it here, we we see that Mary is the one who's listening to Jesus, she's receiving Jesus, she's uh, savoring Jesus. We notice that she's unhurried, that she's even kind of fixated and satisfied with Jesus. Martha, though, on the other hand, is maybe the complete opposite. She's preparing, she's serving, she's distracted. Martha is busy and troubled and anxious, and she even finds herself kind of comparing herself with her sister, Mary. And you take a step back at at what's going on here, and I think it's easy for us to conclude you know what, Mar- Martha is just the, the classic type A personality. L- like if there was a, an Enneagram during this time, like Martha would probably be Enneagram type three, wing two, or, or maybe type two, wing three, if you're into that kind of thing, which is kind of interesting. It's like, how do we, we make disciples before the Enneagram came out, right? It's such a big deal now. But, but Martha, if you're not into that thing, Martha is clearly a helper. She's driven, she's responsible, and she's very busy. Mary, on the other hand, you get the sense that that Mary just kind of likes to take it easy, right? She's maybe unaware of the responsibilities going on in this room. Uh, Maybe she's lazy, whatever you want to describe her as, but she's resting at the feet of Jesus. Now, something that I think we tend to do with this passage that we need to be careful of is sometimes we want to pit the doing of Christianity against the being of Christianity, as if they're competing. And if we do that, it's, it's easy to conclude that the main takeaway of this passage is just to sit at the feet of Jesus 24-7. You know, just, just pray, just read the Bible. Like, you don't need to do anything else. And yet, I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think that we need to interpret this passage in a way where we de-emphasize the doing for Jesus And we only emphasize the being with Jesus. Again, I think that this passage is bringing balance to Luke's gospel. The reason why I believe that is because Jesus, all throughout the gospels, is is commending and commanding the serving of others, that it's actually a good thing. We saw this in John's gospel, John chapter 12, verse 26. Jesus says that whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus says says in Matthew 23, verse 11, that the greatest among you will be your servant. So we look at Martha and we we say, Martha's serving. Martha's doing good things here. Like she's not chilling on the couch, scrolling through Instagram or, or, or kind of chasing this rabbit trail of only watching these funny YouTube videos. No, she's, she's serving, she's preparing, she's probably making the food and, and putting things in order. The, these are good things that she's giving herself to. But secondly, the other reason why I don't think we should pit these two against each other is because of the way that Jesus rebukes Martha in verse 41. If you notice here, Jesus is not rebuking the serving. He's not rebuking the doing. What Jesus is calling out here is the anxiety and the trouble that's driving it. Even look at verse 40, and it describes Martha as being distracted with much serving. Again, the the serving is not the issue, but the serving becomes a problem when it's distracting Martha from what is the most important priority in this particular moment, See, the issue at hand here is Martha's priorities that she's gotten in reverse. So the real contrast here is not between listening to Jesus and serving Jesus. The real contrast here is listening to the words of Jesus being compared to this busy, anxious, distracted behavior. I think Jesus is helping us out here this morning by pinpointing two great enemies in establishing the right priorities. And again, our priorities shape our schedule. They shape what we commit ourselves to. And Jesus is identifying this anxiety and distractions as two barriers in establishing the right kind of priorities. Now, it's interesting, Luke uses um, anxiety or anxious, this word, elsewhere in his gospel, and it's quite interesting the way he uses it. In chapter 8, uh, verse 14, this is the, the parable of the sower. This is Jesus kind of telling that, you know, the, the seed that, that's planted is the word of God, and it, and it falls on, on different soils or different paths, and, and that represents a, someone's, the, the condition of someone's heart. Well, he gets to, to verse 14, and he compares uh, anxiety to an authentic reception of the word. He says, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares, which is the same Greek word for anxiety. They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So, this, this anxiety has the ability to choke out the word of God from, from producing fruit in our lives makes sense. But then he uses it here in chapter 12, and he uses it in contrast to seeking the kingdom of God. He says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now notice what Luke is doing here with this word. When you get to chapter 8, the, the anxiety that's causing this word to be choked out is, is caused because there's an anxiety about the pleasures of life, the riches. The, we would consider those things to be sinful. But when you get to chapter 12 here, the anxiety now is centered around good things. What you will eat, the clothes that you will wear, those are good things to, to pursue, but they do not justify having anxiety and worry around those things. See, anxiety is one of those things that is so tricky, especially in our day and age, because when you have this anxiety, you, you feel like you're, you're being responsible. It can kind of be labeled as you're just, you're just trying to take care of things, you're just trying to be this type A personality and make sure that everything is in order, even if it's towards the good things in this life. See, if you, if you notice Martha here in this room, everybody else would probably conclude that Martha is doing exactly what she needs to be doing, that she's serving, she's sacrificing, she's tending to the needs of other people. But Jesus is discerning differently here. Jesus is recognizing that what's driving Martha is not grace, but it's actually her anxiety, that she wants to be noticed. She wants to be validated, even towards the good things that she was doing. And so I'm pressing this because this is a danger for us who are church people who want to busy ourselves with even the good things of ministry or the good things of this world. There's a danger because this type of anxiety can take root in our hearts, and yet all that you see on the surface are the serving in children's ministry, or they're serving on next steps, or being part of this group and being part of that group, and and those are all good things. But Jesus is trying to press into us the why behind all of it. Uh, One one commentary put it this way, that this, this kind of anxiety is very subtle, It has a selfish fruit, but its fruit looks deceptively like unselfishness. It's the desire for approval dressed up to look like the desire to serve. It's my caring, what you think of me, dressed up to look like my caring for you. It can be so subtle that we don't see it clearly. It looks so much like the right thing that we believe it is the right thing. That's why Martha was so confident that Jesus would agree with her about Mary. See, sometimes what's driving our busyness, when you really get to the root of it, is a type of selfishness and even pride that's creating the anxiety. What's creating the anxiety is not actually the busyness and the overcommitment, it's the selfishness behind it. And I think that's what's going on with Martha here because. The only thing that she says here in verse 40 screams a me-centeredness type of worldview. Three different times in verse 40, she's referencing herself in her kind of a a question or, or more like a command to Jesus. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. All of these references to herself, Because I really believe at the root of it, this unhealthy busyness is really just a manifestation of selfishness and pride. It's believing life is about me. And we have to be careful of this because a prideful anxiety will cloud your judgment about how you should invest your time. It it will confuse you in what's urgent to you versus what's most important. It will cloud your judgment in determining what is the best priority for my time compared to all these other options that I could pursue. That's where distractions, I think, come into place when we give ourselves not to the best priorities, but to all of these other options that pull us away from what Jesus actually wants us to pursue. And now, the challenge with all of this, again, is that we don't necessarily label it as selfishness or pride or anxiety. Again, we label this as being responsible, being driven and, and being this kind of type A personality. And I think it bears to note that Jesus calls it something different. I think we do this and, and I just wonder how much uh, of us feeling maxed out and overcommitted, so anxious, so busy, is not necessarily because we're trying to be responsible Although it's some of that, but I wonder if it's so much of, of us, just our own selfishness and pride coming to the surface of wanting to have it all, like saying yes to everything because we can't possibly say no and let other people down or, or allowing that to negatively impact our image. So the problem, I think, with with, Martha, with Martha's busy serving is, is this prideful anxiety. But the cousin of that is the distraction piece as well. And, and this, this hits us, I think, even harder because of the day and age in which we live in. You know, this word, in fact, distracted in, in verse 40, the, the second enemy to right priorities, it, it has the connotation of, of being pulled and dragged in many different directions. And, and I just wonder how many of us would say, yeah, that's exactly how I feel on a weekly basis. For Martha, though, her distraction and her worry, it leaves her with no room for what is the most important aspect of hospitality. And that's this unhurried, lingering attention to her guest, who is Jesus. See, Martha's worry and her distraction actually prevented her from being present with Jesus. And I think that this idea of the the chronic distractions that we face This resonates with us so well because we feel this. We feel this all the time. Like the the technology age that we live in, it it kind of holds us captive to this continual feeling of FOMO, this fear of missing out, right? This perpetual feeling and and wondering, I wonder what's going on out there, and I wonder what I'm missing That we might be sitting with a group of people or families or we might even be at work or whatever we're doing, maybe even sitting with the Lord and in his word. And we've got our phones, we've got our technology and our hearts start to wander away from being present there in the moment because we're wondering what's going on in social media that I'm missing out on. What emails am I missing? What text messages are coming through? What, what, what's going on out there that pulls us away from being present in the moment with the people that are right before us, including the Lord Jesus at times? See, I think that the, the, the distractions that we feel is the constant bombardment and, and just being constantly inundated with all kinds of opportunities to not just invest our time, but to invest our very affections. I mean, I was confronted with this in a very personal, and I felt profound way a few months ago. I was, uh, I was with my daughters, and we were at home, and, and we were wrestling upstairs and, and just having a really fun time, and it was getting close to dinner time, um, and, 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 and I kind of get in trouble with, with getting the girls really excited before dinner time and so they don't eat, so I try, try to transition into something that's a little bit more chill and relaxed. And so we go from wrestling in this room to let's read a book over here. And in that transition, I left my phone in this room and and I've got both girls on my lap and I'm reading to them. And I begin reading and, and Lila stops me. She gets off of my lap. She goes into this other room, picks up my phone, brings it to me and says, daddy, daddy, you forgot this. And I was so convicted in that moment because I, I, was, I just realized that my daughter actually believes that her daddy thinks that what's most important are the things going on out there via my phone than what was happening right there in that moment uh, of me reading to them on my lap. And I thought, oh my goodness, like there is a, a value system that they are catching that, that I need to be careful of. And it's not just the the phone, but it's the distractions. It's the being present with the people in my life because those distractions will pull you away from the kind of priorities that Jesus wants us to have. See, I, I think this is what's going on with Martha here because we have to remember Martha is doing all of these good things and Jesus is right there in the room next to her the physical presence of Jesus, and yet she's distracted and it's pulling her away from being present with what was most important. And you can feel this when Jesus says to Martha in verses 41 and 42, he says, "Uh, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, you are troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Translation here, Martha is doing without hearing from Jesus. Martha is living without being present with Jesus. Martha is distracted with the many things, but Mary is concerned with one thing. I love how one commentary described what Mary was doing in this moment. It says that Mary made the seat of Jesus a pulpit, her own humble place at his feet a pew, And the whole room, a chapel in which the mercy of God was proclaimed. A very sanctuary by which God himself drew near to the sinful heart with grace. Mary's leaning into Jesus. Martha is distracted. And so what Jesus does in these verses, I think, is is, is kind of a gentle rebuke. But I wonder if we could almost interpret it as an invitation to Martha. Martha. Wonder if if Jesus is really saying here, Martha, you're outraged and and you're frustrated with all of these other distractions. But look at your sister. Your sister is experiencing my presence. She's receiving my words. She has chosen the better priority. Why don't you come and join us right now? I wonder if Jesus is is basically saying here, Martha, your busyness is not sinful, but it's not best. And, And I wonder if If Jesus might be trying to say the very same thing to us today, that are you distracted with all of these other priorities and are you missing what should be the highest and the best priority of your life? That your busyness may not be sinful, but your busyness is not best. Now again, I don't think this is a a recipe for how we're to live our lives 24-7 or we're never responsible, we never serve, and we just sit at the feet of Jesus. But I do think that we can conclude that Jesus is laying out for us the non negotiable investment of our time and our energy. This highest priority is time alone with God, sitting at his feet. And I believe that this is the foundation for, for battling the busy trap and our distractions. And our anxiety. Now the challenge with saying that is that for many of us, you know that. Like for many of us, you're like, yeah, we, we've heard this message before, time alone with God, the, the, the highest spiritual discipline, right? If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you know you need to spend time alone with God. But what I want to do for the rest of our time together this morning is I want to approach that from a different angle. And, and I want to I answer the question. How does time alone with God actually protect us from the busy trap? How does time alone with God actually wage war against the anxiety and the distractions and our busyness? All right, so I want to point out three things here that I think time alone with God does. The first one is I believe that it fuels faithful living in the midst of the high demands and busyness. I think oftentimes... We find ourselves living not as faithfully as we ought because we are trying to do too many things. Our obedience to the Lord gets choked out because we are consumed with all of these other distractions. Paul uh, Paul Tripp talks about uh, these two circles that are in our uh, lives. He calls uh, one of them the, the, the circle of responsibility, and the things that go in this circle are, are the things that we care about, the things that are important, and, and that we also have uh, control over. We've got an influence over. So this would be your, uh, your pursuit of, of the Lord, you being godly. Maybe it's the way that you treat your friends or your spouse or what kind of employee that you are, your, your commitment to sharing the gospel. All of those things you can control. And our posture towards the Lord for those kinds of things is to obey God. All right, that's one circle. Then there's another circle called the circle of concern. These are areas of our lives that are important to us, but we have very little control over. This might be the conversion of a friend. This might be uh, the, the, the changing of your child's heart spiritually or your, your financial security. Those kinds of things where, where our posture towards the Lord should be to trust in him. We can't control uh, a lot of the outcomes of those areas. Now, problems arise when we start putting things in the wrong circles, when we have things that are in the the circle of concern that we start to move over into the circle of responsibility. And what happens when we do that is there's a type of anxiety and worry that's generated because worry by definition is taking responsibility for things that God never intended for you to have. And I think our high anxiety is created because we're trying to control the things that God is saying, trust me with. And then you can flip that. You can start to put things in, in the area of concern that should be in the area of responsibility, where because of laziness, we expect God to do all of the work. And so pro- I think problems arise and, and, and unhealthy busyness is created when we confuse these things that chokes out our faithfulness to God. And so what time alone with God does is it gives us an opportunity just to slow down, spend time with his word, to reflect with him in prayer, and to be able to identify with him and truly, honestly, what am I putting in these circles? Do I need to move some things over because of the way that I'm living? And when you don't have that time alone with God, you can't possibly have the type of margin and space within your soul to do that kind of exercise that reorients your priorities. I love Proverbs uh, chapter three, verses five and six. It outlines this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your hearts. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. See according to this verse, what is your responsibility? What is my responsibility? It's to trust in him. It's to acknowledge him. It's to make sure that we're putting the right things in the right circles. And what God will do is he will actually make your path straight. You will have clarity over the kinds of priorities that he wants you to have. Many times we're not acknowledging him. We're not trusting him. We're putting things in the wrong circle. And so, of course, our paths are all kinds of of different directions. We don't have the type of clarity that we need in order to be faithful to him. So time alone with God helps that. Secondly, though, I think that time alone with God is the place where we recognize the empty promises of busyness. I think sometimes we, we get sucked into this busy trap Because the idols and the sin that sometimes drives our busyness, they are offering us things. They are making these promises that they can never deliver on, and yet we still believe them. They come to us and they make these proposals, not to our heads, but to our hearts. They come to our hearts and they they whisper to us, And they say, if you become this this workaholic and you get your boss's approval or you get that that job promotion, you will finally feel like you are significant. That's the promise it offers us Or, or it comes to us and it whispers to us. You need to find your meaning in the way that your kids behave. Find your worth and, and having the, the, the cleanest house possible. So we obsess over that. We obsess over our, our kids' behavior, and, and, and it tempts us to find our worth in it. Or, or, or the, these idols come to us, and it says, you need to find your significance and your meaning in making sure that you're getting everything off your to-do list and you're accomplishing all those things that you will feel satisfied when other people look at you and they think that you're busy, they think that you're important, they think that you're valuable, you'll finally feel fulfilled. And when we believe these different promises and these different proposals, it leads us to go and chase after them with a type of busyness that is exhausting. That's why I think this unhurried time with God is so important. The time alone with God is the place where we are able to recognize what these promises actually are, that they are lies, they are deceptions, and, and, and the, the idols behind busyness, the, these promises that they're making, they will never deliver upon them. And I think through the truth of God's word, we're able to see through them and we're able to better protect our hearts of what we're listening from the lies of the enemy. This is the place where we connect even the, the truth of the gospel, what Jesus has actually purchased for us, what he's actually accomplished. So we don't find our identity in our worth and, and, and our satisfaction in, in all of these other things. We find it in what Jesus has done for us at the cross. And then thirdly here, the last thing that I'll point out about time alone with God, this is, this is also the place where we learn to just manage our hearts better. I've said over and over again, I, I really think this busy trap is, is less about how many hours you work, it's less about how many commitments you have, and it's more about what's driving the busyness, right? It's the, it's the condition of our hearts. Because the busyness trap, the, the busy trap is, is all about finding your identity and your worth in your busyness. And it's this never-ending cycle. That's why I believe God wants to free us from this trap not by learning to manage our schedules better, which is important, but by primarily learning to manage our hearts better. And the only way we do that is by spending unhurried time with the one who has created our hearts, the maker of our hearts, the one who loves our hearts with God himself. I love Proverbs 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it, right? The battleground in this war against the busyness trap is actually not in your calendar, but it is in your heart. That we actually order our lives by what we love and by what we worship. The condition of your heart drives your schedule, determines your commitments, and shapes your priorities. I think that's why intimacy with God is really the only thing that is powerful enough to pull us out of the busy trap. I mean, look, look what Mary's doing here. Like, I wonder if some people in the room are wondering, is Mary just wasting her time here? Why is she not busy? Why is she not serving? But when you get down to it, Mary's not distracted Mary's not fallen prey to the busy trap. And the reason for that is because she was enthralled with Jesus. She was captivated by Jesus and all that he is. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking in the words of Christ, the presence of Christ, funneling all of that into her heart. And she's finding satisfaction that busyness could never, ever give her. See, for Mary, she's, we can see this. That it, she's determining her priorities by what she's actually worshiping. And I think that's the big takeaway for us here this morning. I felt one commentary described uh, this way. It says, being enthralled and, and captivated by someone or something has a powerful clarifying effect on our priorities, that we make time for what we are passionate about and we neglect what is less important. We can be tempted to think that the right time management technique is the answer to a well-balanced life and, and getting the important things done. But that's not true. Techniques may increase our efficiency, but they cannot determine our priorities. The heart does that. That's what I think the big takeaway is because if you remember the words of Jesus to Martha, as Martha is is throwing her sister under the bus here, Jesus tells her and tells us this morning that there's only one thing that's necessary, that there is a better portion. That's so countercultural. You wonder if someone came and, and said, There's only one really non-negotiable to your day. There's only one high priority that, that is so countercultural to our to our busy, busy world. And yet the one who is doing this is Jesus himself, who in his perfect wisdom is telling us today there is only one thing that is necessary. And it's not crossing off all the items of your to-do list. It's not getting to the mountain of laundry that's before you today. It's not that big business presentation that you have this week. All of those things are good and they're important, just like the serving that Martha was doing. But what Jesus is saying here is that the highest priority of your life should be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Not only because that satisfies us in ways that busyness doesn't, but sitting at the feet of Jesus helps to prioritize everything else. And it's so important. And and I I just wonder, and maybe this is a question you can wrestle with the rest of today, maybe the rest of this week, just wonder if someone looked at your schedule, if someone looked at your to-do list, what would they conclude is the one thing necessary for you? What would they conclude is the non-negotiable of your day just by looking at your schedule? Like, is it truly sitting at the feet of Jesus? Because the thing about this is that the one thing necessary shapes all of the other priorities. So I think the the answer and the solution to busyness is not laziness, it's not shirking our responsibilities or or giving ourselves over to recreation, but it's putting first what Jesus said is first. It's it's realigning our priorities and, and taking the one thing that is needed and putting it at the center of our lives so everything else flows from it. See, as we learn to sit at the feet of Jesus, we, we learn that the rest of our day, the rest of our priorities are less hectic and they're more orderly. Rather than trying to do everything we think we should, by spending time with Christ, we, we hear that still small voice who is leading us to pursuing his priorities. That we learn to say no, we learn what margin is, and we learn how to structure everything around what the Lord Jesus has said. So time alone with God. This is the foundational piece for a life of balance and a life of health. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for uh, this important passage and and what uh, Mary and Martha are teaching us. Lord, we thank you for the dangers that we can be aware of as we want to be responsible. We want to be driven. We want to get things done. God, those are good things. And yet, Lord, they should never come at the expense of the one necessary thing that Jesus outlines before us, and that is time alone with you. So God, help us to be a people who are godly, who are responsible, but who put you first above all else. We pray in Jesus' name.